amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. As promised in this week's episode, we're going to hear the second half of my 2018 interview with Jason Baldwin. For those of you that listened to the follow-up, you heard a little bit about what is to come in this episode. In the first part of my interview with Jason, we spoke mostly about his childhood and things leading up to his arrest, as well as some things that happened there at the tail end when he was finally arrested. In today's episode, we get into what happened to him in prison, the case itself, and his feelings about Jesse Miss Kelly, the man whose confession landed him in prison for 18 years. And that's exactly where this interview is going to begin right after a short break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's nothing like Ireland's wild Atlantic Way. 1,600 miles of soaring cliffs, dreamy remote islands, and buzzing little towns. Not to mention the seafood. Oh, the seafood. And if you drive with Irish ferries, you'll arrive relaxed and ready to explore. Bring the whole gang, pets and all. Fill the boot with goodies and get a warm Irish welcome before you even get to Ireland. Hop across from Hollyhead to Dublin. Book early at irishferries.com and see travel differently. Terms and conditions apply. From Jesse, and that's we haven't talked much about Jesse, and and you're talking about all your your runnings around and everything with Damien, and I didn't hear you mention Jesse much. What was your? I did mention Jesse. I mentioned when I first met Jesse on the sixth in the sixth grade on the right. Program. Yeah, when he tried uh, to beat you up, he tried to beat me up, which was totally different from the experience I'd had from the kids in the trailer park during the summer when I first met because they were all cool and like, mm-hmm. hey, let's play hide and seek, let's go fishing, and right. we all got arrested together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. Um, so when the officer, I would have never in a million years guessed that the friend that police was referring to was Jesse. Uh-huh. Right. Some years after the arrest, I have a private investigator that works for my attorney, Mr. Quinn, and um, he was doing some work for us on the case. And uh, he t- he'd come up to Barner. I was at Barner at this time. And uh he goes, you want to know the answer to a mystery I solved? I'm like, the mystery? He goes, no, I didn't say the mystery, uh-huh. but a mystery. Then a little let down, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I would like to, to hear what your mystery is you solved. Uh-huh. He's like, do you remember before you were arrested, you and Damien at the skating rink in West Memphis getting kicked out? I was like, I do remember that. I have not thought about it uh-huh. for years and years, but I, I remember that. Uh-huh. And he's like, what happened? I was like, I remember. You know, I, Damien and I, you know, we're, it was me, Damien, we were uh, hitting on these girls, Holly uh-huh. and uh, uh, Jennifer. And uh, the security guard was like, I'm going to have to ask you guys to leave. Call your parents to come get you because you, you got to leave. And we were like, uh, what'd we do? Cause I was like, 
why? Why do we got to yeah. leave? And he's like, oh, you know what you did, right? And I'm like, no, I don't know what I did because I'm pretty sure I'm doing what everybody else is doing and nobody else is getting kicked out. Right. We're just playing pool, listening to music, you know, having a good time. You yeah. Know? And he's like, oh, you know what you did. Don't play dumb. Call your parents. And that was it, right? Okay. Didn't tell me why he was kicking me out. Didn't uh-huh. tell Damien why he was kicking him out, you know? Didn't think about it after being arrested, of course. Like, I had other problems to think about. Right. And so, he's like, do you want to know why you got kicked out? I'm like, well, I would rather know other things. But, yeah, come on. If uh-huh. you know why I got kicked out, tell me. He's like, Jesse, Lloyd, Miss Kelly, Jr. stole a pool ball and blamed you and Damien. That's why you were kicked out. Wow. And this is short, shortly before you were arrested? It's very, like, maybe a month, two months, maybe. Uh-huh. Well, so be- before the murders happened? Maybe, maybe. S- somewhere in that Somewhere area. in that time. Okay. Wow. That's, so he solved the, the, how did he figure that out? Why did he figure that out? Investigating the case. Uh-huh. Just talking, talking to everybody to people, and anybody. Everybody and everything. You know, just trying uh-huh. to figure out how all the pieces fit. Right. And that was one of the pieces. So I got to know Jesse pretty good in prison. Uh-huh. You know, um, we talked about my criminal record. We talked about Damien's criminal record, mm-hmm. right? Jesse lived in Highland Trailer Park. And between Highland Trailer Park is a field. And across that field is the West Memphis, I mean, the Marion High School, uh-huh. right? One day, Jesse, he's probably a uh, 12 or 13 at this time, mm-hmm. is walking through that field going home. Okay. When he sees laid out in the field with nobody in sight, a whole bunch of flags, like really big flags. You uh-huh. know? And he's like, oh, my God, somebody will steal these flags. Let me take them to my dad so he can so he'll know what to do with them so they won't get stolen. <laughs> Jesse gathers up all the flags. Uh-huh. And someone comes up and says, Jesse, stop stealing those flags. Right. Jesse gets arrested for stealing flags. Why were there flags? He was trying to prevent someone from stealing. stealing. That's how Jesse gets a record. But I I didn't learn that until I was in prison and um, we were in the barracks together and Uh tried to get to know the guy. Right. So what what was your relationship with him, say, in the three years before you were arrested? Exactly. It wasn't what was the relationship? He tried to beat me up on the school playground at sixth grade. He sent me up to get kicked out of uh, the skating rink for stealing a football that he stole. Uh huh. That's my relationship. So you were not friends with Jesse Miss Kelly. How is it in America, in this country, a person's liberty can be taken from them by things like this? People you don't even know, people you don't associate with. Yeah, I know who Jesse is from school since that very first day when Donna yelled out, Jesse, stop (laughs) trying to beat him up, Uh you know. But I don't know Jesse. I know him now after going through this horrible ordeal together. Uh But at that time, was Jesse my friend? No. Was he friends with Damien? No. And see, this that is something that I think is is news to a lot of people. Myself personally, I didn't I never even occurred to me until we were having this conversation and you're talking about your childhood and your teenage years. And other than him trying to beat you up, Jesse's name didn't come up. Right. He wasn't even friends with you guys. And I, and I therefore a small period of time he lived on the street I lived on Mm -hmm. like maybe a month, Mm -hmm. if that long, three or four weeks, they moved from Highland trailer park to the trailer on my street. But then they went back to Highland. Mm-hmm. So I saw him around mm-hmm. a lot then. We had the same school bus stop. Like we had a, um, in the mornings when we we're waiting for school, if it's not raining or whatever, mm-hmm. we played dodgeball, kickball, all types of stuff, basketball right there on the street. And, and when I say we, it's me, my two little brothers, everybody on the street, uh, the, you know, kids that live across the street, the other kids that live all on the street. So there's probably about 20 kids there in the mornings waiting on the bus playing games, you know. Right. Just being kids, you know. Right. And he lived, yeah, because I think a lot of people don't realize, people that know the case know, but, but people that don't know it that well don't realize that you guys 
while you both lived in trailer parks in Marion, there were two completely different trailer parks. Exactly. Different different sides of the, of the So road. while I saw Jesse every morning, and I, I know we talked and we were friendly uh-huh. when he was on my street, mm-hmm. right? But I didn't ever see him when he moved back to Highland. And then when he didn't go to school no more, I never even, like, caught it. Like, he's walking down the hallway. Like, I didn't. Like, when he went to school, I'd seen. Right. Not that I sought him out and we sat together. Like, right. I'd just see him, you know, like right. anybody else I saw. You know? Right. But then he dropped out of school. Dropped out of school. Lived in a different trailer park. Didn't have the same social circles at all. Mm-mm. He was a wrestler. Uh-huh. He was. Now, I know all this now. At the time, I didn't know any of this. Right. But he, I, I used to mess with him in prison. Uh, he'd be watching wrestling and uh, Ray Mysterio. You know that wrestler would mm-hmm. be on? He's like a real sh- uh, a short guy. Oh. Jesse's real short. Right. And uh, I'm like, Jesse, there there goes your tag team partner. If we weren't in <laughs> prison, you'd be up there tag teaming with him right now. <laughs> you know, you're la- laughing about this now, but, and I, and I know you and I have talked a little bit in the, in the past. I know that you, you don't seem to harbor any ill will towards anybody, but when you got to prison and you and Jesse were, there together, did, was there ever a moment where, what I did you have a what the fuck moment with Jesse? You know, I was at Barner for two years before he got there. Mm-hmm. Warden Tony called me to his office with that same question. Warden Rick Tony did, and uh, he says, uh, "Jason, Jesse Lloyd Miss Kelly's time at the SPU unit has expired. He has two possible destinations." One of them could be Cummins, and the other could be here. The only thing that would stop him from coming here is you. If he comes here, is there going to be any problems between the two of you? So I have no problems with Jesse. He didn't do anything wrong. He was bullied. So do we punish the kid being bullied, or do we hold the bully accountable? I choose to hold the bully accountable, which is the West Memphis Police Department, not Jesse. He was. But at the same time, you have to look at the police record. On May the 10th, what happened? Do you know? Mm-mm. The bodies were found on May 6th. On May the 10th, Jesse and another kid from Highland Trailer Park went to the West Memphis Police Department because they wanted the reward money because they saw someone suspicious in the neighborhood who could have committed the crimes. Not that he did or that they knew he did, but he was suspicious and could have. Mm-hmm. And they told Jesse then, said, Jesse, you're going to have to come back with a more believable story than that. Right? So you have that happening. Jesse, in his mind, dreaming of a, buying a truck for his dad, right? Because mm-hmm. that's who Jesse is. Right. right? And you have Vicki Hutchison, who lives in Highland Trailer Park with Jesse, who... Jesse goes to her house and babysits her kid and mows her lawn, right? Mm -hmm. They know one another. And so when the police ask her to perform a sting operation on their number one suspect, Damian Wayne Eccles, they get Jesse to make the introduction. Mm -hmm. Not because we're friends, but because everybody knows Damian, right? Because he's such a big personality. But Vicky doesn't know everybody. She knows Jesse. Right. So Jesse connects her to Damien. She sends Jesse out. Mm-hmm. They send her out, the police department. So that's how it all mm-hmm. connects. And then there was also a mysterious second Jason Baldwin in the middle of all this, too. Oh, I heard about that. And that's something that I, this could be news to you, too. But And it makes more sense now that you tell me that you and Jesse weren't friends at all. That when... Jesse starts naming Damien and Jason Baldwin. They were committing this murder in West Memphis. There was another Jason Baldwin that was a great big guy. I've heard of this. And Jesse was talking about him at first. See, I don't know any of that. The police had to correct him and tell him, no, it's the other Jason oh, Baldwin. Oh, really? Yeah. This, this is on transcript? You got it on uh, record? Yeah, well, I've, there's, it, you've got to follow a trail of documents to get through in the police notes that J- Jesse had the wrong Jason Baldwin. And I couldn't tell you right now 
which time, you know, where in the timeline all that was. But he definitely identified the wrong Jason Baldwin. Also had reddish hair, by the way. Big guy, though. Oh. Well, the, my problem with that was, is that scenario is um, Damien doesn't know anybody named Jason Baldwin but me. Right. Well, right? and it also tells you where did Dame, where did Jesse get the name Jason Baldwin? Right. Maybe the police gave it to him. You think? Yeah. Right. Um, so let's, so, so let's. So, so Jesse didn't have any information on, had no knowledge of the murders at, on May the 10th. Uh huh. What changed between May the 10th and June 3rd when all of a sudden now he's the guru? Right. Now he has all the answers. And I guess, you know, and like I told you, you know, we do this, the show and the investigation in real time. When, when the listeners are hearing where we're at in the investigation, that's really where I'm at for the right. most part in the investigation. So I haven't even got to you guys yet because, I mean, I, I'm really having to take a detour from a proper investigation in this case because a proper investigation never gets to you. Exactly. But given the circumstances. Public opinion wants you to get here. Yeah, we have to get here somehow and talk about it. But, but like, I didn't know until you just said it that Jesse went in on May 10th to try to give a tip. I didn't notice that until after I was on this side of the fence looking at things. That he had went in days, weeks earlier and tried to collect a reward the money once. Him, I don't know who the other person is that, mm-hmm. that says another kid from Highland Trailer Park uh, went with him. And it may have actually mentioned the name and I just don't even recall now. And I, my mind might just be saying another person. Right. Putting that out there. I don't know. But I know I read that, that he went. Uh, on May the 10th, trying to collect reward money. And if he had actually had any real information to sell, he'd have, then. you bet he'd have been trying to get that money right then. Right. That's really interesting. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you and Jesse eventually, you, have your, you, you meet up in prison. Yeah. Um, at this time, I'd already completed two years at Varner. And I like to say I trained Varner at this time. Uh-huh. I got him right yeah. from administration on down. I got him seeing that, hey, we are innocent. Uh-huh. You will not treat us cruelty any longer uh-huh. for this. And so the inmates' demeanor and the way they treated us, like me, was different at this point. Mm-hmm. And so it was different for Jesse coming in at this point. The prison was different. Mm-hmm. The people were different. They weren't waiting on Jesse at that right. point to do him harm. Mm-hmm. I'd already set the groundwork. He was coming into not hostile territory, but friendly territory. Mm-hmm. So. It was smooth sailing for Jesse. Okay. Now, I, I do want to back up. Yeah, we kind of we got into Jesse and, and, and jumped into prison, but you had a whole trial to go through. So you, you get arrested on the third, you interview, you give him the alibi. You just, and, and I do have, and I mentioned this to you earlier, I had a listener that sent a question that they wanted me to specifically ask you. And I'm just going to read it verbatim that he gave it All to right. me. It says, when speaking on the case, why do you forward Ken Watkins and Don Nam? as viable potential alibi witnesses when their 1993 statements to police clearly indicate they would have hurt and not helped your defense. Now, Don Nam, that would be the Asian young yes, boy that, the you, Asian kid that was at the video. That was at the video game. I haven't actually read their statements. Only thing I can tell you is what I experienced as a fact. I was with Ken, just like I said. Mm-hmm. We went and mowed my uncle's yard. We came back. We played video games. Don Nam was there. 
what those statements reflect, I don't know. But I can tell you this. When you're being questioned by the police and you're trying to give them the truth and they refuse to accept it, they're not going to write it down in any type of statement they take from you. So if they were interviewing Don, Nam, and Ken Watkins, and they were telling them the truth about things and the police didn't want to accept it, it does not surprise me that they did not write the truth down accurately as far as what we experienced. And I know we're in that time period, in relation to that time period, that I did not learn about that time period until my Rule 37 hearing. Mm -hmm. The kid that lived just down the street from me, Sammy, broke into tears because of the treatment he received. And he was not even a suspect or a witness. Mm -hmm. He just lived in the trailer park. And the treatment he received is systemic of the treatment all the kids there received. And I'm sure what Ken received and what uh, Don Nam received from the police department, which was total disrespect, unprofessionalism, and antagonistic, soul-crushing behavior. Because I've never seen Sammy cry, and he broke down into tears at the treatment he had received on the stand. So when someone asks a question about why the police's statement does not reflect the truth, it's because the police were not interested in the truth. So at this point now, you've, you've been arrested. You've interviewed. You mentioned they, they took you to the hospital that day. So, I mean, we're still in the, yeah, what are you feeling? I mean, this is something that you didn't do, and they're accusing you of this, of this horrible crime. I've um, dealt with people who are not logical before. I've dealt with people who refuse facts until they can prove it for themselves. And it's maddening. Mm. You know, it's maddening to have someone demand answers from you and you do your best to supply them those answers and they refuse those answers and still demand mm -hmm. answers from you. I remember for me, what I pinned all of my hopes on was the fact that they took me to the Crittenden County Memorial Hospital and took hair blood, and saliva samples on that and on the fact that when they, when they arrested me, they fingerprinted me, but they went above and beyond that and took a whole handprint and whole footprints. And I remember thinking at the time, either that is like super top secret and they do that in every case and nobody knows about it, mm. or they're doing it in this case because they have a handprint or they have a footprint or they have blood, or they have hair, they have something to prove who did this. And in comparing my materials and my stuff, they're going to figure out that I did not do this crime, and that what I've been telling them is the truth is the truth. And so that's what I pinned my hopes on, because I could not argue with these people. They re absolutely refused the truth. And so I'm like, if they're genuine about testing whatever evidence they have, if they are genuine in the pursuit of that truth, then they will come back and listen to me. And so that gave me the strength to deal with their unprofessionalism and, and their criminal acts towards me. And, and like, I would never treat anyone's son the way they treated me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that, that's what I pin my hopes on, you know? And that's what helped get me through that. And you had to believe that. Surely they're going to find out that there's no evidence, no forensic evidence tying me to the scene, and they're going to believe me. And right. only half of that turned out to be true. Well, the, the bait and switch they pulled at trial, when I get to trial, instead of it being about evidence, the prosecution, John Fogelman, who I met when I was 11, <laughs> his whole thing now is he says the crime scene was cleaned up in such a way that there was no evidence. And in fact, the way that the crime scene was cleaned up is evidence in itself of satanic cult activity, which just totally blew my mind. I'm right. like, how, how can I defend myself? Where are the facts? Where are the truths? You know, when they just refuse the truth and now there are no, there's no evidence 
when I thought there was evidence. Now there is no evidence to prove my innocence. Well, the thing right? was, there was evidence. Exactly. But it, didn't but it did not prove the case they wanted to prove, right. so they ignored it. Right. Because you were right. And think, it, it is odd they took your footprints and your whole handprint. And it was because there was a print on the crime scene. But as soon as they compared it and it wasn't yours, it became irrelevant. And it also wasn't, for the record, wasn't Damien's and wasn't Jesse's. Exactly. So, for me, up until that point, I'm thinking it's a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. You can correct a mistake, right? It's easy. You just do what you need to do to correct it once you find out it's a mistake. But when they found out that that print didn't match Damien, didn't ma match Jesse, and didn't match uh, me, instead of like saying, hey, we've got the wrong guys, they just hid that evidence, chose not to talk about it, and instead carried on with framing us, you know, bringing in liars and stuff and, and, and pressuring people to lie or, or pressuring people to take part truths and, and add a whole bunch of lies and making them something else, you know. To me, that's no longer a mistake. To me, that's a problem, and problems need solving. It's intentional misconduct. Intentional, it yes. It, it's a custom and habit of doing things that make it easy for innocent people to go to prison. So let's talk about that for a little bit because there's, there obviously was everything that happened at the trials, and, and, and that's stuff that most people know uh, that went on through all the documentaries and everything. We've talked a little bit about you. Like, like Michael Carson? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Michael Carson. Did you even, did you know Michael Carson? Heck no. That dude came just, he made up all of that stuff. And, um, after I went to prison, his, uh, counselor wrote me a letter. His counselor was named Mr. Williams, mm -hmm. Danny Williams. And he, he's like, dude came up with that stuff sitting in my office. How to get out of his criminal cases, like his uh -huh. criminal charges. Like he came up with making up that story against me, like because uh -huh. it's the uh, the most, it's the one on the news, you know, at right. that time, you know. So it's like, what do you, what do you call it? The big prize or whatever. Yeah, and and didn't I hear? I feel like I remember reading that the, that counselor or somebody had actually wrote a letter, or written a letter to Fogelman to the prosecuting attorney, letting him know before the trial. But they ignored it because it did not fit the story right. they were selling to everybody. Yeah, and now they're trying to convince us that they didn't intentionally proffer untruthful, false evidence when they had a letter from the counselor telling them that this was a lie. This dude is lying. Yeah. And they had that. And then the lady who actually ran the county jail, Miss mm -hmm. Joyce Curitan, who is an honorable, professional woman mm -hmm. who does a really good job a really stressful job dealing with like troubled kids and people locked up. Like there are so many different ways you can handle that. And so many people screw it up. And she did a great job and, and honorable. She was going to testify that, you know, she's had this dude in and out of her jail. And she knew for a fact, this dude was lying, not only about this, but he lies on about everything all the time. Mm -hmm. But Sheriff Emerson, of Craighead County at that time, physically kidnapped Miss Curitan and took her out of the county until the trials were over. Physically removed her from the county. What that looked like, I don't know. But Miss Curitan is a tough woman. Is that something that she's testified to or written an affidavit to that effect? There is an affidavit. That's incredible. So she was intending. To testify, to testify at your trial against Michael Carson. To, to be a, um, what do you call it, a uh, mitigation witness. Mm -hmm. To go at the veracity of the truthfulness of that person, right? right. He's up here saying he has a, a soft heart and telling the truth. We have a right to put on testimony from people who know him and has witnessed him. Not exhibiting a soft heart and definitely not exhibiting the truth anywhere he goes. Right. And they removed her from the county till after the trial. Just like uh, Miss Ware, my high school art teacher, who I had her for two years in a row, ninth and tenth grade art. Mm -hmm. Like I had her in ninth grade art and I had her in tenth grade art. So every day for two years, I'm sitting in her class and 
she is a super sharp and intelligent woman. And she was going to testify as to who I am, not mm-hmm. who they were making me up to be, not, mm-hmm. not these false lies, but a real from someone who's not my family member, someone who's not my friend, who is in a professional position that has watched me for two whole years in her classroom and whose classroom I was in on May the 4th, whose classroom I was in on May the 5th, and whose classroom I was in on May the 6th, the day before, the day of, and the day after the boys were missing. So she could testify and answer questions about what I was wearing, what my demeanor was, who I am, and all of that. Was she allowed to testify? No, because she had the truth. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. She wasn't going to offer lies, so... The judge wouldn't allow her to testify? Guess who is over the school system in Marion? John Fogelman. What do you mean he's over the school system? He's on the uh, education board, the board of education, right? And so he makes a phone call to Principal Jack Broach, who is the boss of art teacher Sally Ware, and lets her know she can't be testifying and expect a job to come back to and have a job to come back to. Wow. My mom who was working at CTI, which is a trucking uh, agency in Memphis at the time, her boss was like, I understand you want to be there for your son. I understand you want to go to these hearings. I understand you want to go to the trial. You're not going to have a job to come back to if you do. So this is the culture. These are the people who are in charge of things. And these are the people who, and like any community, we're supposed to look out for one another and lift each other up, but they're not doing that. They're doing the exact opposite of that. And so that's what we're up against at that time. Do you think that culture's changed at all now in West Memphis and the DA's office or Crittenden County? <sighs> Man, uh, I, I, I couldn't even guess because I haven't been back. <laughs> yeah. um, Jesse lives there. I, I worry about him. Uh, he was just recently arrested. Yeah. For uh driving without a license, a busted headlight and stuff. Jesse will never get his driver's license. He can't pass that written exam. When we were in prison together and I was at the Barner unit, I tried to help him get his GED. Mm-hmm. Like I was working in the law library at this time and like I would like call him out of the barracks and get him time in the law library after hours. So he would be more comfortable so he wouldn't feel like people were making fun of him and all right. of that type of stuff, you know. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, just same way I'm not going to slam dunk a basketball like Michael Jordan. Jesse's just not, he, he's it, not going to be able to do he it. He can't do it. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing wrong. Like, yeah, there's, I mean, it's nothing bad about him. It's just his capabilities, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he's got a hard time. Especially now his dad. Can't get around anymore. He's got exactly. to take care of that. And then he's in a hostile environment, you know, because mm-hmm. those are the same officers. Like, uh, I think Detective Mike Allen is now the chief, police chief there in West mm-hmm. Memphis. Am I right? I don't know. I that, think so. That would be a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> but the the good news on that is Scott Ellington is, is the DA. Uh-huh. He's the one that signed the papers for our Alfred plea, and he's made a statement in front of the press, you know, like there's not a, judge is going to sign a warrant mm-hmm. to arrest Jesse and, and revoke his 
suspended sentence over these things, right? Those types of things, you know. And I thought that was really good. Yeah. And I thought it was really good that he's like, you know, I will keep the case open as far as like if y'all find any evidence to look at, I will look at it, you know, which is real good. Because my attorney, uh, John Phillipsborn, is still working on the case. Uh, we've got our private investigator, Mr. Quinn, working on it. So it's good to know that if we, when we find something, that the state will accept it and do something with it. So. See, what most people know about Ellington is what you saw in the documentaries, which was his press conference he gave after you signed the Alfred plea, where he says, well, this case has been solved now. They just went in there and pled guilty, so they're guilty. But it, it sounds like that behind the scenes, he's told you guys that he will still consider new evidence in this case. Yes. Um, he, he'll definitely work with us. Um, I wish he'd been strong enough as a, as a public servant. To say, you know what, looking at the facts of this case, the Alford plea is not just. These guys deserve complete exoneration. Mm-hmm. I'm going to drop the charges right now, no matter how long it takes us to solve this cold case. Mm-hmm. Because that's <laughs> the way it should be. No one innocent should be have their liberty and freedom and rights held for ransom until they solve a crime that they know nothing about. And was they're not trying to solve because it's closed because of the Alford plea. Right. You know, so. What hurts me most about that is seeing Pam, Pam, when I say Pam, Pam Hicks, mm-hmm. the mother of Stevie. Um, I, Holly and I have gotten pretty close to her over the years since I've been free and everything. And uh, we worked on the film adaptation of Mara Leverett's book, Devil's Not Together. And for her, it was all about memorializing her memory of Stevie, you know. And so to to work with her. And see her get something, you know, something. Whereas she's not getting any type of help or support from the state. Like grief, like grief can do terrible things to you. There, there's, there's, you, you don't know how you're going to deal with grief. And losing a child is the worst thing anybody can experience, you know? And, Whenever I, whenever I had time to be around her and look at her eyes, I can see that same grief in her eyes that I see in my own mom's eyes. But the difference is my mom gets me back. Pam doesn't get Stevie back. And what makes it so much worse is the state telling her that they don't care if they, if the case is ever solved, that saving $60 million is more important to them than finding the actual murder of her son. I think that is what really is what really breaks her that not having that support from the system because the system is who you turn to to help you in things like this and when they turn your back there's who do you go to you know you you, you break and that's what she's doing she's breaking you you mentioned your attorneys are still working on the case private investigator damien still got people working on the case and and the reason we're here is because you know we're and I, and I think you, you've you've learned of what we're doing now for the last couple of months, and, and you know this that you know we're we're not our show is not a, about entertainment or just telling a story, but we are here to help, and we are here to solve this case, and we're bringing hundreds of thousands of people with us, and it sounds to me like the next place we need to go is go knock on Scott Ellington's office door and convince him to really consider evidence and put the the power if they would put the power and the weight of the Crittenden County District Attorney's office and the West Memphis Police Department behind this investigation it would be over with like that there are there are so many more avenues there's so much more testing that can be done mm-hmm. and 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 we've been we've been going for a long time and and and, and I'm I'm going to get in touch with you again for probably over the phone before I fly all the way down to Austin again uh, yeah. <laughs> to ask some more questions but that's the last two things. One, another listener question that I promised I would ask, and it's it's out of context now, but but I want to ask it now is, can you explain the lake knife? Was the knife pulled from the lake your knife? That knife was mine. It was your knife. And it had been in that lake since the previous summer. Okay. Like... I, can, I don't know when the date was exactly. Like, I just know it was the summer before. It was me, my mom, 
My youngest brother, Terry, I can't remember if Matthew was there on the dock or not. Mm -hmm. Matt was. I know Terry was. And I think a couple of his friends were. And we were fishing and, and like Terry was messing around the tackle box and cut his hand mm -hmm. on a knife. And my mom got upset and grabbed the knife and threw it in the lake. So she, she threw that. Are we talking about the big survival knife? She threw up. A um a pocket knife that was in the like tackle a smaller box. knife. A small knife, just a little knife. Okay, so she didn't throw your she, knife. She like little Terry was I think he was I, I really don't remember exactly. I think he was changing a fishing lure or something. Mm, he right. was using a knife and he cut his hand or cut his finger and my mom flipped out, got upset. I don't think he was even supposed to mess with the knife or something. I don't know <sighs> really now. But she grabbed it and threw it. And it was mine, right? She uh, just threw something of mine into the lake. So me being very mature at this age, right, right grabbed the, the, the survival knife that was still in its case, the big knife, right? Like in a sheath? In its case, in its sheath. Uh, I grabbed it. I said, well, if we're going to throw that one in the lake, we might as well throw this one in the lake too. And went like that. But I really wasn't going to throw it. I was just miming and uh, like trying to make a point of like, that was not cool, throwing that pocket knife in the lake. Right. You're having a temper tantrum. Exactly. <laughs> right. I, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't want to say that word. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went like that. I really wasn't going to throw it. Like, I just made the motion. And when I did it, it came out of the case and, like, flew through the air. And I was like, 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 you know, that, like, that I can't take it back moment, like, and it just goes. So like, you're so if I'm you're sitting there holding the sheath to this. I'm knife, still holding the sheath, and the it's knife. flying through the air <laughs> in, into the lake. Yes. So, so that knife they pull out of the lake is that knife. It was your knife, exactly. You don't you don't deny that. Mm -hmm. And you threw it in the lake by accident when you were having as a part of the temper tantrum. The, the temper tantrum from your mom throwing your pocket knife. Throwing the pocket knife in the lake that Terry cut his finger on or hand on or whatever it was. Okay. Well, that, that clears it up. I promise I'd ask that, I would ask that question. Uh, and I remember telling Paul Ford, I'm like, there's got to be some type of test that you can do to see how long it's been in the lake. Like, you can... I live on the lake. Mm -hmm. There are life cycles yeah. that animals have. Like, Freshwater uh, shrimp, freshwater snails, especially, mm -hmm. right? That I'm sure that they, by this time, that there was signs of life after a whole year of this knife being in the lake, that there were signs of life on this knife, right? Mm -hmm. To show a life cycle, to prove it, it had to have been in there over a year and could not have been that murder weapon. Right. I well, think. There there's also the fact that it doesn't match any of the wounds on the body. That is true, too. Right. But that's, that's what I was trying to get Paul Ford to do with mm. the ex, some of the expert money that we were supposed to get from HBO, which was the whole purpose of allowing HBO to record the trials, was uh -huh. to get some funding to get experts to do the things that we needed to get done to prove our innocence and maybe right. even find who did the crime, who did do the crime. Mm -hmm. So that last thing you just said to find out who did do the crime. So that, that's, our, that's our goal. That's what we're here to do. So I, I guess I just want to give you a minute for you to be able to address anybody, you know, the audience, uh, as far as your thoughts on what we're doing or, any, you know, there's, cause there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes and on the podcast, but we're, we're just ordinary people around the right. world are just contributing whatever they got to help. So I just kind of want to give you the floor for a few minutes to talk about your feelings on what we're doing. And, and, and where we're going from here and for you to talk to any of the listeners and then it's it. So the floor is yours. All right. Um, this is always the tough stuff. <laughs> Wish I didn't warn you. <laughs> right. I just not, I'm not answering your question really. I'm just yeah. making a statement. That's always the hard stuff. Um, you know, um, Bob, I think what you're doing is a really great job. I'm, I support truth and justice in this. Um, I support anybody who is genuinely looking for the truth. And answers in this case, it's it's really refreshing after dealing with the West Memphis mm -hmm. Police Department and them not looking for the truth, right? Not looking for answers. And saying that, I want I want to draw that line between people and, and our viewers and, and our listeners. Are you looking for the truth genuinely, 
or are you just trying to make things fit a scenario in your mind that you've already signed up for? Are you trying to make a, a round object fit in a square peg? Don't do that. Just follow the facts. Look at the case, you know, because I know I get this asked this a lot who I think did this crime. I don't know. Only thing I know for a fact is I didn't. And it would be so easy to just point the finger somewhere to get the point, to get the finger off me, you know? But that doesn't make it right. Just to say, well, it wasn't me. It must have been him. When I don't know that person did it or not, I don't know if this person did it or not. Somebody did this crime. That is true. Someone needs to be brought to justice for it, but I don't know who that is. And for my reputation in life to be held ransom until I figure that out is wrong. And I guess that's kind of like a message for Ellington and the state, the state system, the state prosecutors, the state justice system. That's for them to let them know that what they're doing is wrong and they're, they're just doing everybody wrong. We're going to do our best to change that. And we're gonna we're gonna keep plugging along, and we'll be in contact constantly. And I and I do also want to point out with you sitting here, and, and why we're on the record that uh, you were the first one of the West Memphis three that we got in touch with months ago. Prior to you were you were able to keep the secret that we were going to be doing this for a few months before we started. And one of the like feeler questions that we asked all of you guys, Jesse and Damien, were you know are you okay with us doing this, and you know can we get access to, to files and is there anything that we should look into specifically? And we got the same response from all three of you, which is you have access to whatever you need and dig, 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 find the truth, search for more, test every piece of evidence you can test, find something to find the truth. And, and, I, and I say that because it's important to me as an investigator that someone's not pointing me in a direction saying, oh, you know, jingling keys over here and say, don't look at this, look at this over right. here. But to just say, look, and, and to kind of have your blessing and then Jesse's and then Damien's as we've, we've met all three of you guys, uh, to, to say, just, just find the truth. It, it, it shows me. And that's, you know, I, I've, I've made the statement on the, on the podcast very early that I believe the three of you are innocent. I've never been a West Memphis three supporter guy, you know, the guy with the, you know, that has the gen, the agenda. Right. Um, but as an investigator looking at the case, I believe that you guys are innocent. That's, and that's one of the reasons why. You're not afraid of anything. You're not afraid of the truth. The truth? I mean, that's what I want is the truth. Right. I'm, I'm tired of everybody's lies. Their lies is what took my life away from me. You know, I just want the truth. Find the truth. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is attributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineering by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I'd like to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month. And we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. 
If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email, theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. I personally can be found on social media at Bob Ruff Truth, and Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.